Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. We're holding page 424, middle of chapter 32, which is Lev, the heart of the Tanya, which discusses the theme, the central theme of Yiddishkeit and the central theme of Hasidic, Hasidus, and especially Chabad Hasidus, which is love your fellow Jew like yourself. The highest level that a Jew can reach in life is you develop a pleasure. It gives you pleasure, great pleasure, to help your fellow Jew, to do them a favor. That's the highest level a person could reach. It's higher than meditation. A person could reach, develop uh, an ecstasy, a sense of ecstasy, of a godliness. But that's nothing in comparison to developing a taste, a pleasure, a passion. It physically give you pleasure to be able to help your fellow Jew. That's the highest level that you can reach. That's the heart. This is the essence of Hasidus. So he asked the Alter Rebbe, which is greater? Love Hashem or love your fellow Jew? He answered, loving your fellow Jew. As the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe said, the four parts of the code of Jewish law are Chayim, the way a Jew lives, are Chayim, Choshen Mishpat, the rules of financial laws, Yeridea, laws about things that are permitted, things that are prohibited, kosher, not kosher. And then you have Evan Ha'ezer, laws, marital laws. And he refers to the marital laws, he refers to it as Evan Ha'boychen, the moment of truth. How do we know that everything else that you're doing, you're putting on tefillin, you're putting on your talus, and, and you, everything else that you're studying Torah, everything else that you're doing, how do we know that it's real? What's the Evan Ha'boychen? Evan, it's called... The Evan Abaychen is Evan Ezer, the laws, the marital laws, how you treat your spouse. <laughs> that tells you everything. You can be busy praying and studying, but it's how, it's menschlichkeit, it's how you learn to treat another human being. That's what it all boils down to. Everything else is, this is, this is the heart. This is right, this is the real thing, this is the real McCoy. This is how you know if your davening is genuine, if your learning is genuine, if you really have a connection to Hashem. Otherwise, you can delude yourself you have a connection to Hashem. But you really have no connection. You're serving yourself. It's self-serving. It's egotistical. Spirituality could be the ultimate ego trip. How do I know that I'm truly thinking about Hashem? When you forget about yourself. It's about how you treat another person. And where does it all start? Charity begins at home. Hashem gave each and every one of us, He gave us a little, a little uh, experiment, a little laboratory. Just figure it out. On a small scale. Because when you figure out that, the whole world is made up of atoms. If you get one atom right, the whole world will fall into place. That's how it all begins. It's, it's how you behave in your daily life. It's the small things. It's how you treat another human being, how you treat each other. And it all begins with how you treat your spouse. Because that's really the, that's the core, that's the essence. You know, in the, in the UN, they, uh, they once tried to put the whole world together, a puzzle of the world, and they couldn't figure it out. And then a child came along, and in one minute he put together the whole, this complex puzzle. And they asked him, how do you do it? He said, well, it's very simple. He showed them on the other side, there was a picture of a, of a, of a person. So I put everything in place, the eyes, the nose, the ears, and it all came, into, came the whole world came, came together. So the Jewish approach is that if you want to put the whole world into place, get one person right. It's how you live privately. You know, don't run, hug a tree. It's very nice. But, but it all begins how you lead your daily life, what you do at home, how you think, how you speak, your attitude, how you treat your spouse, how you treat your loved ones, your family. That's where it all begins. That, that's, you want to change the world, change it within. It's 
every person is empowered to change the world. But it starts on a small scale. And it all begins with loving your fellow Jew like yourself. It all begins with the other person. Forgetting about yourself. Focusing on, on the other person outside of yourself. You can't approach God. It's not a loner's, it's not a loner's journey. Hashem is alone. But He didn't want to be alone. So He created the world. He created us. He wants to have a relationship with us. So you can't approach Hashem as a loner. You have to approach Hashem, you have to come to Hashem through another person. That's our gateway to Hashem. Through noticing the other person. Caring about the other person. And this was the greatness of the very first Jew. And this is why he was the first Jew. Abraham. Avram. Abraham, after he circumcised, and he reached the highest level that a human being could reach, his name was changed from Avram to Avraham. Avram is numerical value 243. He was a master of 243 of his limbs out of 248 limbs. At the age of 99, when he circumcised, Hashem added the hay, which is numerical value. Now he was a master of all 248 limbs. He was a total, complete master. He reached perfection. And as a direct consequence, as a result, the next moment Hashem revealed Himself to him. For the first time in the Torah we find Hashem Himself revealed Himself to him in all His glory because now He was able, now that He was circumcised, He was able to receive and absorb the greatest and most intense revelation He ever had in His entire life, 99 years old. And it's hot, and He's sitting at this tent. Three days went by, He didn't have a single guest. For the first time in His life, His house is always swarming with guests. He's busy with the guests. It was such a chams, chams, chamsin, it was, such a, it was so hot that there wasn't a single guest. There wasn't a single guest. Three, he's waiting, he's plotting, he's, he has just had major surgery, he can hardly move. He's sitting at the, he can't wait, where are the guests? And suddenly he sees three Arabs, three Bedouins, three nomads, three idol worshippers. In his fall he knows it. Those who worship Mother Earth, the lowest form of idolatry, those who worship the Earth. Hug a tree and worship the earth. Gaya. Worship Mother Earth. Idolatry, the ultimate form of idolatry. One of the most primitive forms of idolatry. Instead of worshiping God, the creator of heaven and earth, they're worshiping the earth. And the earth has more value to them than people. What does Avram do? Firstly, he notices them. God is talking to you. You have the most intense revelation you ever tasted in your life, you ever experienced in your life. The highest spiritual peak. God Almighty Himself is revealing Himself to you. How do you even notice three Bedouins, nomads, idolaters? How do you even notice them when God is talking to you? And not only did he notice them, once he noticed them, he tells God, he puts God on hold, he says, sorry. And he ran to them to take care of them. Forgot about his pain, forgot about his surgery, forgot about his... Uh... And what do we learn from this, from the very first Jew? That it's greater to receive guests than it is to receive the Shekhinah, to receive Hashem's <laughs> presence himself. So the path to God is through people. You can't hide behind God and mysticism and religion to go off a mountaintop and to become selfishly absorbed and spiritually absorbed. And the world is dead to you and everyone else is dead to you and you become celibate and you have no, no room for anyone else in your life and there's no, you can't marry another person and you can't live with another person because you're too holy and you're too spiritual and you're too absorbed in holiness and godliness. There's no hiding behind God to become antisocial or to avoid people. This is the path to God. You have to notice, you have to see and observe, see another person and put God on hold and care for the other person. And care for the material needs. Avram served them tongue, three tongues, bread, offered them hospitality. This is the Jewish way. This is the heart of Judaism. This is the heart of the Torah. The very last letter in the Torah is the Lamed, and the very first letter in the Torah is the Beis, Bereshit. The heart of the Torah is to lo love your fellow Jew like yourself. So the Alter Rebbe says 
that with this explanation that we just explained, how it's possible, how is it possible for a Jew to love your fellow Jew like yourself, like we learned last week and last year, and to love them naturally, just like you love yourself naturally, and to truly love them because you are the other Jew and the other Jew is you, and therefore we're all one and the same. And also to love them as an individuals, to see their advantage and their superior qualities and their unique qualities, and to love them as a person. And even a Jew is not lovable. Just like we love ourselves, even when we're not lovable. Even when we have no reason, no rhyme and reason to love ourselves, we do so anyway, unconditionally. We overlook our faults. So too, we have to love your fellow Jew like yourself and overlook your faults. And this is what Hillel meant. Hillel said that when the convert comes to Hillel and says, teach me the whole Torah, give me one Madison Avenue soundbite, teach me the whole Torah on one leg. So he says, don't do unto others what you hate to, to do to yourself. This is the entire Torah. This is more than what Rabbi Akiva said. Rabbi Akiva said that this is a great rule in the Torah which is the general heading and is the underlying reason behind all the mitzvot, the man and man. Hillel is saying something much, much more profound than Rabbi Akiva. He's saying that this is not only the... This is, doesn't only include the mitzvot, the man and man, it includes the entire Torah, including the mitzvot, the man and God. And what does he say? Don't do, do, do unto others what you hate to be done to yourself. As we've already learned, the essay of the Semel Tzedek, why does he say it in the negative? He should have said it in the positive. Do unto others what you love to do to yourself. Why in the negative? And the explanation is, what does a person hate most? A person hates criticism. Why? Because you overlook your own faults. You have faults, but you overlook it. You love yourself anyway. You don't lose any sleep. It doesn't disturb your sleep. So you have faults. And so it's your fault. So you have no one to blame. So... You still sleep like a baby at night. You overlook your faults. Now that you don't see them, of course you see them, but you don't overlook them. That's how you have to love your fellow Jew like yourself. To the extent that just like you hate criticism more than anything else in the world, you, because you overlook your faults. So even if you see the fault in your fellow Jew, overlook it. So you see it. So it shouldn't bother you. It shouldn't disturb you. You should still love them and respect them and like them. So even a Jew is not lovable. Just like you overlook your own faults, overlook their faults and love them and respect them and treat them just like you like to be treated yourself but how is this the entire Torah and the rest is commentary how does, what's the connection between the mitzvah between man and God what is putting on tefillin and, and putting on the talit and the, all the mitzvah between man and God how is this under the heading of don't do unto others what you hate to be done to yourself so the Alter Rebbe says now with what we explained earlier that how can a Jew accomplish, achieve, love your fellow Jew like yourself when everyone has their own ego and our ego gets in the way? My ego, I care more about my pinky, what happens to my pinky than 10 million people starving in, 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 in Angola and in Sahara. What, I mean, who cares? It's just human nature. A person cares more about himself than he cares about anything, any, any, anyone else. So if a person is egotistical, then it's impossible to truly love your fellow Jew like yourself. If your life is defined by ego and your money and your power and your career and it's all about self, me, myself, and I, then it's truly impossible because ego covers up. But if your life is defined not by ego, your life is defined by your soul, you're in touch with your soul, and that becomes your definition, that becomes your joy, the joys of your soul becomes your joy, and you're happy for your soul. And when the soul is excited by learning Torah and doing mitzvot, it makes you excited. You become excited. You feel rejuvenated. So if your identity is your soul, then the other Jew has the exact same soul that you have. You have a Jewish soul, the other Jew has the same Jewish soul. You have the divine essence, divine spark, the pintliyid, which is at the core and essence of your being. The other Jew has the same pintliyid, the same core and essence. So therefore, you can truly love the other Jew. You can see the Jew in the other Jew, and you can love them and connect with them and admire them and respect them and love them like brothers, like family, like one organism. 
So now we can understand what Hill says, that this is the entire Torah and the rest is commentary. Because what's the point of the whole Torah? The point of the whole Torah is, including the mitzvah of man and God, the point of the whole Torah is that a person should become godly. That a person's identity should be godliness. That it's not just that you should behave a certain way. You should act a certain way. Or speak a certain way. Or think a certain way. But it's that your being is godly. Your whole being is godly. And because your being is godly, that's why you're doing godly things. Why are we doing godly things? Why are we acting in a godly way? Why are we doing mitzvot? Why are we speaking in a godly way? Are we speaking the truth? Not slandering another person, speaking positively. Why are we thinking Jewishly in a Jewish way? Positive attitude. Why? Why are we acting or speaking and thinking godly? Because our essence is godly. That's who we are. So we're expressing our essence. The Torah and mitzvot are ways for us to connect and to express our essence, which is godly. So when your being becomes godly, when you're putting on the talit and you're putting on the tefillin, and you're doing something godly, and you're tapping into your godly essence, and you're expressing your godly essence, and you're connecting with your godly essence, and it resonates with your innermost, deepest part of yourself, which is the godly spark inside of you, then you can touch the other Jews' essence also. Then you see the godliness within the other Jews. Because one soul sees the godliness in the other soul. It's like the story with the uh, fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe. He was a young child, him and his brother. His brother's name, Rabbi Zalman Aaron, was a little older than him. They were both little kids. And um, children play games. But what games do they play? They play, it depends what culture they grow up in. Some children play cops and robbers. <laughs> Some children play cowboys. But growing up in a Hasidic court, the father was a Rebbe and the grandfather was a Rebbe. So they, they played Rebbe and Hasid. So the younger one played the Rebbe, and his older brother, there were young kids, played the Chassid. He put on the hat, and he put on the hat. And so the, the, the Chassid turns to the Rebbe. The older brother asks the future Rebbe, and he says, Rebbe, what is a Jew? The Rebbe closes his eyes, and he says, a Jew is a shtick fire. A Jew is a piece of fire, a ball of fire. So his older brother touches his brother, he says, if a Jew is a fire, why don't I get burned? I touched you, I didn't get burned. So the Rebbe smiled. His younger brother smiled. He says, what happens when fire touches fire? <laughs> it's one flame touching another flame. So when you're on fire, when you're fire, you see the fire in the other person. It's like the great Hasidic Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael, the cousins of Mike, who was named after the Baal Shem Tov. He once told his son, he says, I'm not a body. I'm pure soul. So son touches him. He says, Tate, father, I, I feel your body. What do you mean you're not a body? So his father says, yeah, body feels body. Since you're a body, so all you feel is body. But I'm not a body. If you were a soul, you would, all you would see is soul. What does that mean? It's actually reflected in Jewish law. This is not just a, a theoretical idea, a nice sentiment. This is actually a practical halacha in Jewish law. Jewish law states that on Shabbat, you're not allowed to carry from within to the outdoors. Or from out, outdoor to indoor, or carry outside more than six feet. But, biblically, you're only prohibited if you carry a certain amount. If you carry just a, a grain of mustard, it, that's not called carrying. It's, you have to carry a certain amount that's beneficial. So the question is, what if a person is carrying three grains of mustard? But he can't carry it because it's just grains. So he uses, he takes a huge suitcase because he wants to carry around this mustard. But what's the, what's the purpose of the suitcase? Not because he needs the suitcase. He doesn't need the suitcase. He's using the suitcase to carry these grains, these little tiny grains, which all together, if you add all the grains together, it doesn't have the each each item has a certain amount. At which starting at this amount, it becomes biblically prohibited to carry. It has to be a beneficial amount, whether it's for planting or for eating. It depends on what it's used for. It has to have a certain amount. 
So what if you carry less than the amount, but the item that you used to carry it is huge? You know what the Allah says? It's okay. Not it's okay, because rabbinically you're not allowed to carry it, but biblically you have not violated the prohibition of carrying a Shabbat. You don't have to bring a sacrifice if you do it unintentionally. Why not? I carried a huge suitcase. Forget about the suitcase. Don't look at the suitcase. Look at the content. The suitcase is a container. Don't look at the container. Look at the content. It's not about the suitcase. It's about what's inside the suitcase. The suitcase is just a container to carry what's inside, to transport, to move around from place to place. Don't look at the container. Of course, all you see is the container. But that's not what it's about. Look at the inner content. And the same is true with life. When a person's life is defined by his body, he lives for his body, he lives for indulgence, he lives for instant gratification, he defines himself by external, by money, power, and fame, then, then body touches body. That's all I see. My body and your body, and he can't have two bodies in the same place. Therefore, you get in the way, and therefore, there's no room. I can't love another person. You, you get in my way. You're taking away from me. You're taking away my, taking away my space. But if a person's body is merely a container... You say, I'll just take the book and Exactly. If your body is just a kind, kind of just a container, it's the soul, it's the neshama, that's how I define myself. I don't live for indulgence, I don't live for anything external, for anything superficial, that's not what I'm about, that's not what satisfies me, that's not how I define myself. I have a deeper definition. My identity is my soul. And the body, the material, is just a means to an end, it's just a container to carry my soul. So if your soul is primary, then what do you see in the other two? You see their soul. It takes one soul to see another soul. Your fire, you see the fire. If your soul, that's all you see is the soul. You don't, see, you don't notice the body, you see the soul. So the more a person is inward, the more a person is in touch with his own soul, then the more a person could really see the soul inside the other person. If a person is superficial, then all you see is the surface of the other person. And you label the other person, and you dismiss them, and you pigeonhole them. And that's it. End of story. There's nothing more to the other person. And of course, all your relationships dry up. All your relationships become frozen, become paralyzed. You're stuck because you can't change. You, you, you can know a person for 30 years and nothing changes. You don't change, they don't change. It becomes stale, stagnant. And it goes backwards. But you know what? It's not about the other person. It's all about you. You are stale. You are stagnant. And therefore, all you see in the other person is stale. The relationship is stale. The relationship is stagnant. And in life, if relationships are stagnant, they just go backwards. It doesn't stand still. Life doesn't stand still. Then it just goes backwards and gets worse and worse. But the problem is not the other person. 99.9% of the time, the problem is not the other person problem is you. You're not happy and therefore you're running away. You don't want to deal with yourself. You can't deal with your real self. So you're hiding. And many times you can hide behind religion. But this is the truth. This is that why the previous Abhavitra Rebbe said relationship, marriage is the, is the truth. This is the moment of truth. Because everything in Judaism has to lead you to a healthier, more wholesome, more happier marriage. Your own marriage. How do you deal, tr- treat your fellow person respectfully and lovingly and kindly and gently and lovingly? And, because that's what it all boils down to. As we see in ethics of our fathers, every rabbi, you're talking about a rabbi, the Talmudic rabbis, and they distilled all their vast Torah knowledge. They distilled in one sentence, Hu haya oimer. This is what my life is all about. He used to say, look at another person with a kind eye, have a good heart, whatever. All the sayings and ethics of our fathers. So it's amazing. All that brilliance, all that Torah learning translated into one quality, into one personality trait, into one how do you treat another person, to ethics of our fathers, moral ethics. And that's the essence of everything that he learned, everything that he accomplished as a Torah scholar. This is what his life was all about. He always used to say, this is what his whole being said, this is what it all translated. So if you see a lack in another person, it's your fault. If your relationship is stagnant, 99.9, there are exceptions, but 99.9% of the time, it's my problem. 
Nothing to do with the other person. <laughs> I'm stagnant. I'm stale. And I'm not in touch with my soul. I'm getting further and further away from my real self. It's not, it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel wholesome. And... But the more a person is in touch... The more a person goes beyond labels and surface within your own self, and the more you're able to allow your own neshama, allow your own soul to emerge into surface, the more you're able to touch and encounter and experience your own neshama, the more you're able to get your own ego out of the way and allow your own neshama to emerge and surface, then your relationships will become unstuck. You'll see, you'll see the soul in the other person. And even the person that's difficult, you strip away the labels. Don't, don't just pigeonhole them and label them. And you always do this and you always do that. that that's, there's no such thing. That's all surface, superficial. Get to go a little deeper. When you go a little deeper, change is possible. The person is dynamic. Every person has a soul. The soul is dynamic. The soul is infinite. The soul is undefined. Don't define a person. Don't label a person. It's only if you yourself are defined and limited and labeled. So that's the way you project the whole world. Everything, everyone else, you also limit, define, and label. But there's so much more going on. We know within ourselves. We sense within ourselves. And that's why we can't accept criticism. Why can't we accept criticism? A person can't hear criticism about themselves. Why? Because rightfully so, we know deep down that there's so much more to us. You can't just label and define me just because I did this. That's not the sum total of who I am. There's so much more going on inside of me. You sense that you have a soul. There's something real about you. There's something that's so infinite. It, this is just a tiny part of myself. You just know the tip of the iceberg, but you don't know what's going on beneath me. There's such an inner richness. There's such a, a wealth. A... Don't, just, don't just judge a book by its cover. There's so much more than just the cover. There's such infinite depth to each and every one of us. There's a soul. So the more in touch you are with that infinite depth, with that richness inside of yourself, the more you can see the richness in the other person. And that's why we find little children don't have the capacity for compassion, for achmanas. An immature person, someone who's emotionally, psychologically immature, does not have the capacity for true empathy and for compassion. Everything is rigid, everything is black and white, and everything is very... There's no capacity for compassion. Because compassion, the more a person is in touch with his own soul, the more a person is in touch with that inner undefined self, with that inner richness, which is so huge. Even we ourselves, we can merely glimpse it, encounter it. You know, we approach our soul with, with, uh, with tremendous uh, healthy sense of respect because... We can't master it. It's so much greater than us. There's so much more to it. We, we can just encounter it, get a glimpse of it, experience it, allow it to talk to us a little. But the more you approach it with humility, and the more you're in touch with your own soul, the own neshama, that inner depth, inner richness, which is infinite and undefined, the more you can have rahmanas. You can strip away the layers of the other person. So you see a person is acting out. Instead of hating them, you have rahmanas. There's, a, there's an inner child there that's trapped. This person was never loved. They had a rough childhood growing up. Who knows? They, they may have been abused. They may have been beaten. They may have been emotionally abused. And the person was a little child. Most people, when they act out, people are very arrogant. It's just a cover-up of tremendous insecurity. And the more brilliant they are, the more they cover up their insecurities by being rough and aggressive. And It's just a defensive mechanism. But once you strip away, or you strip all that away, you read, but you see what's behind the scenes, behind the curtain. There's nobody behind the curtain. He's a little frightened little child, a person who never grew up. Was maybe five year old, emotionally and psychologically, never really grew up, never really dealt with any any real issues. So how can you hate them? You have rahmanas. So that's where compassion comes in. So the more you're in touch with your own soul, the more you can have compassion on the other person. Instead of labeling another person, dismissing them, and criticizing them, and being harsh on them, you have rahmanas. So a person who's very harsh on himself will also be very harsh on others. A person who has no mercy and no compassion in himself will also have, mercy, have no compassion no mercy in others. will be extremely harsh. Because a person is not in touch with his soul. A person is very external and superficial. And they don't know how to access their soul. So the more soulful a person is, which is what Torah and Mitzvah are all about, the whole emphasis of Torah and Mitzvah is that a person should become godly. 
Not only you should act godly. Why are you acting godly? Because you are godly. Your being is godly. Your essence is godly. Express that God. Tap into that God. Every time you do a mitzvah, you're tapping into that godly spark. It resonates from within. It touches you in the deepest place and inside of you. It connects. And therefore, the more godly you become, and the more that becomes your identity, the more you can see the neshama, you can see the divine, you can see, you can touch the divine and see the divine in your fellow Jew and love them and feel close to them and feel connected to them and find the sweetness inside them. As the Baal said, Kol Yisrael, all Jews are responsible for each other. He says, Arevim also means they all mix together. They blend well together. Arevim also means sweetness. They find each other sweet. As we say in, uh, in, the ten, in Ethics of Our Fathers, one of the ten miracles in the temple was that when they stand, stood in the temple, millions of Jews packed into the temple, they were squished. But when they bowed down, then miraculously there was room for everyone to bow down. So Hasidah says, on a deeper level, what this means is when a person is standing stiff, when a person is rigid, his attitude in life is very egotistical and very rigid, it's my way or the highway, and there's no flexibility, and there's no... Then, everyone stands squished. The other Jew takes away from your space, and you feel, you feel uncomfortable. The other one makes you uncomfortable. But when a person bows down, when you transcend your ego, and you get out of your ego, and you bow down, then there's room for everyone. You see the sweetness in everyone. You see the goodness in everyone. You see how the other one compliments you and how you compliment them. You see how we learn from each other. You see the uniqueness of every individual Jew. And then everyone is sweet. There's room for everyone. God created the world. The first commissioner of the UN, uh, um, the UN Commission for Overpopulation. He was a fellow by the name of Cain. And he felt that the world was overpopulated. There's not enough resources in the world. There were four people in this world, Adam and Eve and, and uh, Cain and Abel. And he felt that we're leaving a carbon imprint. We're polluting the world. And therefore, he felt that the humane thing to do would be to slice humanity, minimize humanity by, by one quarter. So he took matters in his own hand, and he bravely killed his younger brother, Abel. When a person is egotistical and rigid, the room is too big. The room is too small. Four people. The, it already feels overcrowded. He's taking my resources. So therefore, I have to kill him. But when a person is not egotistical, when a person bows down and worships the creator of heaven and earth, doesn't worship himself, then there's room for six billion people. And there's room for everyone. And there's respect for everyone. And there's enough resources to go around. It's only the ego and politics that gets in the way. There's enough food to feed the whole world ten times over. All it is is ego and politics that gets in the way. So if your identity is egotistical, then it's impossible to truly connect and truly love your fellow Jew like yourself. It's impossible. Because it gets in the way. It obstructs. It blocks. Because you can't love yourself either. Your true self, your soul. So how much more so you can't love your fellow Jew? There's no room for the other person. Two egos clash. What happens when two, two, two egos meet? It's an eye for an eye. <laughs> but when a person, when a person's identity becomes the soul, when you shift from ego to soul, and that becomes your identity, and you connect with your soul, and that's, that's who you are, and you touch your soul, and you encounter your soul, and you experience your soul, and you approach your soul with that humility, you get your ego out of the way, and just listen to your soul, and allow your soul to emerge and surface, then it takes one soul to see another soul. Then you see the soul in the other person. Then you see the beauty in the other person. It's like the beautiful story with the fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, with the the diamonds. And once in Simchas Torah, the Rebbe was extremely joyful as usual. That particular Simchas Torah, he was dancing with all the simple Jews. With the butchers and the tailors and the cobblers and the water carriers. And they were very prominent Hasidim in the group. And they felt a little slighted. Why is the Rebbe paying so much attention to these simple, unsophisticated peasants 
you know, you had such learned people and such scholars and such deep, with such depth and such, such mystical, mystical uh, masters and you had, why, why, why is he spending so much time and energy with these simple peasants? And one of them was not shy. <laughs> he was very wealthy after story. He asked the Rebbe, when he went in to say goodbye, he met the Rebbe, he says, Rebbe, I don't understand, why you, why you lavish so much attention on these simple, uncouth Jews? The Rebbe didn't answer him right away. But in the middle of the conversation, the Rebbe said, tell me, what do you do for a living? He says, I'm a diamond merchant. He says, can I see some of your stones that you're carrying? He says, Rebbe, of course. He opened up a whole package. And he's describing this diamond and this gem and this ruby then he comes to this stone. He says, Rebbe, this stone is, oh, this is, this is a stone like no other stone. This is the most precious. This is the crown jewel. The Rebbe looks at the stone. He looks at the stone. He says, I'll tell you the truth. I don't see the difference in this stone and the other stones you showed me. I don't see what's so special about it. So the Jew smiles and says, Rebbe, on diamonds you have to be a maven. On stones you have to be a maven. So the Rebbe smiled. Did you hear what your mouth said? And a Jew, you have to be a mate. You don't see the difference. This Jew, this, this Jew, this stone, it all looks the same to you. And a Jew, you have to be a mate. So a person who's not soulful, he just looks at a person superficially. Say, how are, we, how are you evaluating? How do you, all you see is body, you don't see anything. You don't see anything special, you don't see anything precious, you don't see. So you dismiss if the more soulful you are, the more in touch you are with your mystery inside of you, with the hidden part inside of you, with that soul, with that divine spark, the more humble you approach your own soul, the more you're in awe of your own soul, the more you're in touch with the divine essence that's, you, that's located at the center of your being, and you encounter it and you experience it, and the more you get your ego out of the way, and, you, and that you, you touch your soul, and that becomes who you are, the more you will be able to touch the divine, touch the soul and the other two. See the soul, appreciate it, love them for it, respect them, and treat them like, just like you love yourself, completely naturally, as one. So this is the whole theme of the whole Torah. So it's not just the mitzvah between man and man. This is the mitzvah between man and God. This is what it's all about. To rise above your ego and to become godly and to be in touch with the, with the core, core of your being, which is, which is the godly spark inside of you. And the more you're in touch with the godly spark inside of you, that will lead you to Torah. That will lead you to love your fellow Jew like yourself. So this, Hillel was correct. This is the entire Torah and all the rest is commentary. All of the rest, including the mitzvah the man and God. It's just a commentary on this mitzvah. Because a person who can truly accomplish, who can love his fellow Jew like himself and overlook the other person's faults just like you overlook your own faults because you love them just as naturally as you love yourself. Which is only possible if you're not egotistical. It's only possible if you're soulful, if you're in touch with the divine inside of yourself. A person who lives for materialism, who lives for indulgence, a person who's external, cannot possibly accomplish this. Impossible. The ego gets in the way. So the only way to accomplish it is, is by becoming godly. If you become godly, that's what the Torah is all about. That's the sign, that's the moment of truth that you're really putting on filling and that you're really praying to God, and that you're really studying His Torah, and that you're really putting on the talit, and you're really doing all the mitzvot. Okay, let's learn inside. Up to now, the Alter Rebbe has discussed the mitzvah of loving one's fellow on its own merits. He now proceeds to discuss the value of this mitzvah as the basis for all the commandments, thereby elucidating yet further the importance of rejoicing with the joy of the soul alone. The Talmud relates that it was Hillel the Elder who authored the well-known statement that Ahavas Yisrael, the love of one's fellow Jew, is the basis of the entire Torah. For Hillel had been approached by a Gentile who declared that he wished to convert to Judaism, but only if Hillel would teach him the entire Torah while he stood on one foot. Hillel replied, what is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow. That is the whole Torah. The rest is but commentary. An obvious difficulty presents itself. All mitzvot fall into either of two categories. A. Ben Adam between man and man. 
and B, Bein Adam Lamakom, between man and God. It is readily understood how all the mitzvot of the former category may be motivated by one's love of his fellow. But how can this love motivate one to fulfill any of the mitzvot belonging to the latter category, to observe the Sabbath, for example? The Alter Rebbe's answer follows from his previously stated principle that the essence of Avas Yisroel lies in giving priority to one's soul rather than to his body. This indeed is the basis of the entire Torah, as the Alter Rebbe continues. This explains Hillel the Elder's statement concerning the fulfillment of this mitzvah. This is the entire Torah, the rest is but commentary. For the basis and root purpose of the entire Torah is to elevate and exalt the soul high above the body to God, the source and root of all worlds. So the whole purpose of the entire Torah is to connect to the soul, is to elevate the soul over the body, that the soul should become primary. The inner should become primary until we connect the root, the source and root of all the worlds, until we connect ourselves to Hashem, until we become completely connected to the divine. By doing godly things, by living a godly life, by acting in a godly way, speaking in a godly way, and thinking in a godly way, 24-7, throughout our daily lives. So this is the whole Torah. This is the purpose of all the entire Torah. The mitzvah between man and God. And that's why also, when you do a mitzvah between man and man, it's like a double mitzvah, because you're doing a mitzvah between man and man. It's also, it's also a mitzvah between man and God. You're doing what God wants. Not only are you pleasing man, but you're also pleasing God. You're doing what God wants. So the mitzvah between man and man are extremely, extremely important. That's why in Judaism... Um, there's no fanaticism in Judaism. A person cannot hide behind religion to beat up on another person or to, to use it as a... as a... Um, an right, an axe to grind against another person. And many people, very cruel people, and many times they delude themselves. And in the name of religion, they wage wars and they, and they fight and they denigrate and they humiliate and... and um, you know, they abuse. They abuse religion. Look at all the Muslim fundamentalists hiding behind religion to blow people up and to hurt, hurt people, to harm people. In Judaism, there's no such thing. You can't hide behind religion to, um, you know, to hurt or to maim because it's all based on love your fellow Jew like yourself. So the mitzvahs between man and man are equally just as important as a mitzvah between man and God. And if anything, they take precedence. It's more important to receive guests than it is to receive God Almighty Himself, as Abraham Himself demonstrated so eloquently. So this is one explanation how the mitzvah of Avat Yisrael, why it's so central. Now the Alter Rebbe is going to give a second explanation. The second explanation is because in Judaism we have a concept called Klal Yisrael, the Jewish whole. That the whole of the Jewish people is greater than the sum total of its parts. And therefore, no matter how great an individual is, a person could reach the highest level spiritually. You can reach, like he just said, the source and the root of all worlds. You touch the, you're touching the divine. You're at the peak. You're in the highest level. But no matter how great you are, you're still an individual. Take the human organism, the highest organ in the body, the brain, the most delicate. But the brain is one aspect then there's something that's far greater than the brain. The brain and the heart and the liver, down to the toenail, are all part of something larger than, all, than the parts all put together. The person is not just a conglomerate of many parts and many components. It's not like a machine that's made up of many parts. 
The whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. A person is one whole, undivisible self. When you sense your eye, who is that eye that you sense? The whole thing. Right. It's, it's not any particular part of you. It's like the famous story with the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, and his grandson, the Tamil Tzedek. And who he raised, personally raised. And once as a child, he was playing in his father's study, and his grandfather's study, and he sat on his father's la- grandfather's lap, and Alter Rebbe asked him, he says, where is Zaydi? So he touched his nose, pointed to his nose. He says, no, that's Zaydi's nose, but where is Zaydi? Touched his eyes, and no, he's not satisfied. It's Zaydi's eyes, where is Zaydi? And everything he touches, no, no, his beard. That's his beard, but where is Zaydi? He was a wise child. So he jumps off his grandfather's lap, runs behind the door and cries out, Zaydi! And Alter Rebbe turns and says, yes. So the child points out triumphantly, there, that was Zaydi. Who pointed? Was the beard that pointed? That, that turn? Who turned? The beard turned around, the eyes. And all you, Zaydi. Who is Zaydi? Zaydi is not your eye, the nose, the beard. These are just details. These are just aspects. The brain, the heart, the, the 248 limbs. These are just aspects. But who are you? The you is greater than the sum total of its parts. And all the organs, all the parts are interrelated and interconnected. So the primary part of each organ, yes, each organ is unique. And the brain has to act like a brain. And the eye has to act like an eye. And the ear has to act like an ear. And the heart has to act like a heart. And each one is unique. And each one is irreplaceable. But the brain senses that I am part of something much larger than just a brain. The heart senses I'm part of something much larger than just the heart. It's not about the heart, it's not about the brain, it's not about the liver. It's about you, your soul. Your soul is one point, there's one indivisible self that expresses itself in the brain, in the heart, in the liver, in toenails, in here, in every part of you. But it's really all part of one single indivisible whole. When you walk down the street, you don't feel like a bag of bones, you're carrying a body of bones <laughs> and limbs and organs and blood. No, you feel yourself as one. That's the sign of a healthy, healthy living person. You feel yourself as one whole, undivisible self that carries itself and expresses itself in the body, etc. The same is with the Jewish people. And this is uniquely Jewish. Every human being, there's six billion people in this world, every human being is an individual. But there's a glass ceiling. No matter how high you reach, you could be Mother Teresa, you could be Buddha, you're an individual. And you're limited. When could a person become truly unlimited? When you plug in to what we call Kalal Yisrael, you plug into the Jewish whole. Kalal Yisrael is eternal. It's like a nuclear energy. It's always brand new, it's always fresh. Which explains why the Jewish people, as Mark Twain described, never lost any of its youthfulness, its vigor. It's, it's just as alive, just as youthful today as it was 3,300 3, years ago, 3,800 years ago. And we haven't seen anything yet. The best is yet to come. How can we survive Holocaust and pogroms? When you tap into that energy, you plug into that energy of Kal Yisrael, it's an eternal energy. As it says in the Torah, that God never refuses the prayer of a community, of a minion. That's the power of a minion. You have ten Jews, get together. You create a new entity. It's a reflection of Kalal Yisrael, of the whole. And that's why God never despises the prayers of a minion. When you pray as an individual, they put you under the microscope. Are you worthy of receiving the blessing? You're not worthy. But when you pray as part of a community... And you pray in the plural, God, heal us, bless us. God looks at you as part of the whole. Part of the whole, the whole is perfect. The Jewish people as a whole are perfect. As an individual, I don't know how perfect we are. Are we living up to our potential? Are we truly... But once you forget about yourself, you plug in on the Jewish whole, you connect with the Jewish whole, you're perfect. And the word for community... In the Torah, it's tzibur. Tzibur is an acronym for three Hebrew words. Tzadikim, beinanim, rishoyim. The tzaddik, the righteous one, the perfect one, the average one, the middle one, and the rasha, the wicked one. And they all comprise the community. Because when the community prays together, 
God responds to the Russia individually as a Russia as a wicked one, but once he plugs into the Jewish people, then God will respond to his prayers. And that's why the Western Wall says we'll never destroy them. The Western Wall, the only wall that was never destroyed. Why? The enemies cannot destroy the Western Wall. Because all the other walls were built by individuals. Great individuals, wealthy individuals. An individual is limited. No matter how great you are, everything comes to an end. But the Western Wall was built by the entire community, including the poor, the simple. The entire community built the wall. A community never dies. A community lives on forever. A community never goes bankrupt. The community lives on forever. The Jewish people are an eternal people. Individuals may have dropped out over the years, may have been lost, assimilated, but the Jewish people are an eternal people. And that's why the high priest, the holiest Jew, on the holiest day of the year in Yom Kippur, was not allowed to enter into the holiest spot on earth, the Holy of Holies, unless he was a married man. Because no matter how perfect you are as an individual, you don't really become a Jew. You're only like a half a soul, as the Zohar says. A person who's a, who's a single is a half a soul. You can't become a whole person. You only become whole when you plug in to the Jewish people. How do you plug into the Jewish people? Through your spouse. When you get married, that's when you become a whole person. When it's not just about yourself. When you become part of something much greater than yourself. You become part of Jewish eternity. Only then are you elevated and able to reach the highest level. Moshe, Moses, who was a perfect person. When he let the Jews out of Egypt, he was 80 years old. He sat in the desert and meditated for decades. He was a perfect person, a shepherd, a loner. He reached the spiritual heights. And what does God tell him when he meets him at the burning bush? He takes off his shoes. And what does God tell him? You must become the leader of the Jewish people. And Moshe wrestles with God. For seven days he wrestles. He says, no, I'm not worthy. I don't want, I'm not interested. Please find someone else. And Hashem forced him. Hashem got angry. And what happened as a result? Moshe did not become Moshe. Moshe did not reach his true potential. When was he able to go up to heaven and back? Only after he became a leader, he engaged in the Jewish people. He got involved in the community, in the nitty-gritty, in the simple Jew. Because it's only when a Jew, no matter how great you are, it's only when even the greatest Jew has to come and daven with a minion, has to come and join the Jewish community and participate. The great Goan, the great genius, probably the greatest genius, the pre-war genius of the Jewish people, Rabbi Yosef Rosen, the Ragachov, passed away right before World War II, the ripe age in the 90s. But a mind like that hasn't been in the world for hundreds of years. And he would, every waking moment, he would study Torah. The whole Torah was at the tip of his, of his and wherever he would go, he would run. He was always in a rush. He was so full of energy. But three times a day, he would run to synagogue to pray with the minion, morning, afternoon, and evening. Because no matter how great you are, it's, there's something greater than all of us put together. And this is the central theme of our generation. The Rebbe, the Lubavitcher Rebbe, made that the seventh Rebbe, the seventh successor and heir of the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, the first Rebbe of the Hasidic movement, Chabad movement. He made that the central theme of our generation. He said, our generation, we are the communication generation, the communication age. And our generation is about communication. And communication is forgetting about yourself, putting yourself in someone else's mind, getting into their mind. Not just living for yourself, but living to help another Jew. And there we created 4,000 Chabad houses like this one that you're sitting in right now, all over the world. We're 24-7, permanently, 24-7, a Chabad house, it's permanent, it's a home. A Jew, Jews are dedicated to help another Jew, whether it's materially or spiritually. That's what you live for. It's not just about you, because no matter how perfect you are, you can pray and you can meditate and you can reach the highest levels of scholarship and you can reach the highest level of absorption of dveikut. That's inadequate, that's not enough. A Jew just lives for himself as an individual. It's not enough. When do you become whole? When you forget about yourself. 
When you have Avat Yisrael, when you plug into that energy, that Klau Yisrael, the energy of the Jewish whole. And only then do you become the individual that you could become. Maimonides became Maimonides because he was the leader of the whole community. It wasn't just about himself. Moses became Moses, the original Moses. Moshe, because he was the leader. The patriarchs, all their greatness. What's the greatest greatness? That they were fathers and they were mothers. It wasn't just about themselves. It was others that they taught and they communicated and they educated. It's not just about yourself. Rachel, the ultimate matriarch, sacrificed herself for her sister, for her children. It wasn't about herself. And that's why she touched God so deeply. And her merit, the Jewish people merited the second redemption and the second temple was rebuilt. So this is the quality. This is the most important quality in Judaism. A Jew who doesn't get this point, doesn't understand the concept of Klal Yisrael, doesn't understand the connection of one Jew to another, doesn't understand they were all part of something much greater than all of us put together, and just approaches God as an individual, and if I have no time for anyone else, I don't notice another Jew, I have no time for you, I'm too busy concentrating on my own spiritual growth, on my own spiritual development. This Jew doesn't begin to understand what Judaism is. And that's what Hillel says, you want to know what the whole entire Torah is, including the mitzvah between man and God. Don't do unto others what you don't want to do to yourself. Because it's only when you notice another person, and you live to help another person, and you feel part of the other person, the other person is part of you, that's when you start living as a Jew. That's when you're plugged in. That's when you're connected. That's when your tefillin is tefillin. That's when your talus is talus. That's when your lulav is a lulav and your matzah is a matzah. That's when all the mitzvot in man and God come alive, are for real. Uh, and also... And also, to draw down the infinite light of Ein Sof into the community of Israel, as will be explained further, meaning into the fountainhead of the souls of all Israel, so that the one God will reside within Israel, but only insofar as they are one, i.e. united. When the Jewish people are like Klal Yisrael, when they're one and they're united, they're whole. When the body is whole, when the organism is healthy, when the organism is united and healthy, God forbid there isn't an infection in one organ, or there isn't a, one organ is missing, God forbid. But when the Jewish people are one and vibrant, and every part, of, every part of the Jewish people, every single Jew, not a single Jew will be left behind. Everyone, every single Jew is a vibrant part of the Jewish whole, healthy and connected, and feels connected, and identifies as a Jew, and is a proud, proud of the Jewishness, and connects with the Jewish history, and feels part of Jewish destiny, and feels like a participant. Then, the Orient Saf, the infinite light, then and only then could we connect with God Himself. So the way to touch the divine is only when you completely step outside of yourself. In other words, he, what he's saying here is not only to go beyond your ego, but even to go beyond your soul. Because your soul, as an individual soul, is also gets in the way of godliness. Because you can't approach the infinite light as an individual no matter how great you are. You're finite and you're limited. The only way you can truly touch the Orient Sof, the infinite light himself, Hashem himself, is only the Jewish people as a whole, as a united whole. That's why the Jewish people are the conduit for all the blessings that come into this world. When we're united as a whole, when we feel part of Klau Yisrael, of that Jewish whole, then we're able to draw down the infinite light and we're able to draw down all the blessings and then, then the world is blessed. Spiritually and materially. Continue. But this indwelling of the light of Ein Sof in the community of Israel is impossible if there is disunity between the souls, God forbid. For God does not dwell in an imperfect, fragmented place. Because if Hashem is like the heart of the organism, just like the heart, what, God forbid, can cause a heart attack? If, God forbid, there is a blockage somewhere and the blood doesn't circulate freely, it, it, it leads to illness. So too, when is the organism healthy when the blood circulates without any obstruction? At the moment there's hatred from one Jew to the next. So it doesn't allow the blood to flow from one organ to the next. It 
creates illness. It, 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 un, it unbalances the whole system, the whole organism becomes ill. So when are the Jewish people healthy? And when are we able to draw down godliness? It's only when there's peace amongst us. When every organ, when there's no politics, just like in the human body, there are no, there's no politics in the human body. You know, it's not like the heart and the mind and the liver, everyone is fighting who's the boss and who's chief and who's king and who's superior and who's inferior and who's better and who's worse. There's no politics. They love each other, they get along with each other, they complement each other, they connect with each other. They, perfect harmony. So when the Jewish people live in perfect harmony, and there's, then, then there's blessing. Like Tzamot uh, Tzedek said, it says, Olive Beis, Kimmel Dalet. It says, Olive, when there's Achtus, when there's unity, there's Beis, there's Bracha, there's blessing. When there's Gezel, and each one steals from each other, no one trusts each other, then you end up with Dalet, Dalus, poverty. So this is the source of all blessings. When Jews get along with each other, and there's unity, and each one cares and respects for each other, respects each other, then then godliness could, uh, could reveal itself, and then, then there's blessing. Continue. So do we say in our prayers, Bless us, our Father, all is one with the light of your countenance, indicating that the light of God's countenance can be revealed only when we are united, all is one, as explained elsewhere at length. Since every Jew has a divine soul, and since the commandment to love one's fellow is based on the essential unity of the souls, it follows that this commandment applies to every Jew without exception. In fact, however, we find the Talmud exhorting us to hate certain fellow Jews. How do we reconcile these apparently contradictory requirements? Okay, so that, that we're going to learn next class, but the, um, this was a question that the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe asked it his bar mitzvah. He asked his father. His father said, ask a question. He says, why is it that we introduce the prayers in the morning by saying, not only thinking, but by actually verbalizing and saying, I take upon myself, I accept upon myself to fulfill the mitzvah of love your fellow Jew like yourself. The question is, why is that an introduction to prayer? Prayer is a meditational activity. It's an activity between man and God. It's to become, to reach higher levels of consciousness, to become spiritually sensitive and spiritually aware. What's the connection between love your fellow Jew like yourself and being a kind person, being gentle, nice and kind and good? What's the connection? I mean, why is that a preparation for prayer? And his father, the Rebbe Rashab answered, replied, he said that, when we're praying and we're about to ask Hashem to fulfill our wishes. So before you ask Hashem to fulfill your wishes, what's the one thing you can do to please our Father in Heaven? What's the one thing that gives a parent most pleasure? You know what gives a parent the most pleasure? When they see their children get along with each other. When they see their children love each other and care for each other and are there for each other. And there's no ego, and, and, and they get along. That's, they are, they are in, gar, in the Garden of Eden. They hit the lottery. That's the jackpot. That's the biggest nachas. Nothing else means anything. You could be a billionaire, but children are fighting with each other. They're in hell. It's not worth a dime. That life is miserable. That's the biggest nachas you can get to Hashem. Okay, so here you're about to pray to Hashem. Hashem has many children. Right? 14 million yidins. Hashem takes a look. When, when one Jew cares for his fellow Jew like a brother and a sister and feels that we're all family and cares for each other and is there for each other and helps each other, this gives Hashem so much nachas that Hashem is more likely to answer your prayer. You have a need? Sure. What else do you need? Whatever you want, I'll give you. You're giving me so much nachas. But when Hashem sees that one Jew is angry at the other one, one Jew fights with the other one, one Jew disrespects the other one, one Jew looks down at his fellow Jew, Hashem feels miserable. So he's not likely to, why should I answer your prayer? Why, give me a good reason. For all the nachas that you're giving me, all the grief and the heartache that you're giving me, you're robbing me of my pleasure, my nachas. So this is the preparation for prayer. You can't come to Hashem as a cripple, as wounded. Because the other Jew is part of you and you're part of them. So if, if you hate them, it's as if you've crippled, crippled your arm. You've, you've damaged yourself, you've crippled yourself. So you come before Hashem, you come as a cripple, you come as a, you come, Hashem is not going to answer your prayer. 
Because prayer is a substitute for a sacrifice. When you come to Hashem, you offer a sacrifice, it has to be a perfect sacrifice. You can't offer to Hashem, when you offer a gift to someone, are you going to offer a defective gift? Can you imagine? <laughs> you're going to buy a used item that's damaged, the damaged goods, and you're going to offer that as a wedding gift. Here, I want to give you a nice gift. It's defective, it's damaged. You'll be embarrassed, you'll be ashamed. Imagine. So prayer is a gift, an offering. You want to offer God a gift. When you make an offering, you offer the nicest, the best. What are you offering? A defective, a damaged goods. Because when you hate another Jew, you become damaged. It's part of you is damaged. You've just damaged your liver, your arm, whatever it is. And this is the gift you're offering to Hashem? You're offering yourself? You're offering a damaged goods? Out of here. Ashamed of yourself. Be embarrassed of yourself. Not only aren't, not only aren't you going to get what you want, this is how you approach Hashem. So you're standing there in piety and you're shaking. And meanwhile, what are you offering Hashem? You're offering Hashem damaged goods. Hashem is not interested. So the first thing we do before we pray is we say, we say not just we think, we verbalize it. And of course, we, then we act on it. I accept upon myself the mitzvah of loving my fellow Jew like myself, which means literally to love a Jew that's not lovable. It's easy to love a Jew that's lovable. <laughs> to love a Jew that's not so lovable. And just like I overlook my own faults, I should overlook their faults. I love them anyway, naturally, unconditionally. And I see the soul in them, because I see the soul in myself. I encounter the soul in and I encounter their soul, and I have compassion. And when you love your fellow Jew like yourself, then you plug into that energy. When you don't just live for yourself, but you dedicate your life to help another Jew. When part of your life, it becomes part of your life to think of another. You meet a fellow Jew, someone in your building, a neighbor, a friend. You care about them. You feel close to them. You feel like a brother and a sister. You feel like family. So if you dedicate your life, not just to live for yourself, but also how can I help my fellow Jew? How can I... Then you plug into that eternal energy of Klau Yisrael. And then Hashem is likely to bless you and to shower you with gifts for everything that you need personally, for health and for parnasa and for livelihood and to find the shidduch and to stay married and to, to have peace in the house and children, whatever, it's anything you need in life, Hashem will bless and give you an infinite abundance and shower you and with a smile because you brought Him so much nachas that you're, you're loving, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of loving your fellow Jew like yourself. So this is the gateway, this is the highest level a Jew can reach, can wish himself to develop a taste, a pleasure. When it gives you pleasure to do a favor, to do a kindness to your fellow Jew. And a Jew who's kind to his fellow Jew will be a wonderful neighbor, will treat every human being with respect. Because every human being is created in the image of God and will be an inspiration for all human beings to live up to their godly potential, to become righteous Gentiles, to become Noahides, and to live up to the seven Noahide laws, to be continued.